Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcasty person, and I am joined as ever by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, I'm now a special features expert... Uh, because Ooh. I've been doing a lot of those over the past couple of weeks. Uh, and and I am very, very excited to talk about one of my favourite films of all time, Nightbreed. However, if you're expecting me to be overwhelmingly positive about this disc, now that I've watched everything on it, uh, you may be surprised. Dan. Oh. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, before that, Dan, why don't you tell the, the, the precious listeners what the plot of Nightbreed is? Um, yeah, sure, right. So you know how monsters are the bad guys and they don't have any relatable character arcs and they're all dicks and we should burn them? Oh, yeah. No. No. <laughs> and that is what this film is about. Yay. Now, <laughs> um, yeah, the, I think the best way to sum up the film is there's a, there's a my favourite line in the film is when you, and I'm massively butchering it here, this is not a direct quote, um, when you dream, you dream of flying, you dream of smoke, that is what we are. Blah 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 blah. So the but the the point is, uh, and this is common all the way through Barker's writing, that monsters are often vilified not because of their actions, but because they are different. Yeah. Um, and this is heavily underlined by the fact that the third act antagonists, uh, soft spoilers, not heavy spoilers, the third act antagonists in this are the sort of yokel redneck american version of the pitchfork wielding lunatics from the old universal frankenstein yes movie. yes but also kind of on a, a slightly deeper level than that they're also the kind of traditional heroes of like 50s b movies so you've got the police you've got the scientists you know you've got uh the priest character who would all potentially be traditional heroic leads good guys in, oh yeah absolutely in, in it's it's flipping on its head yeah. and there's this there's stuff that was in the the short story and in earlier drafts that play more with that about some of those characters having their own backstories of like secrets and things they're ashamed of yeah things that make them different from other people um and so like a lot of close stuff it's um it's about you know then they're, they're not evil they're just different yeah the the, the where it slightly falls down as a film is that a lot of them are actually evil. <laughs> and there's a, there is a bunch of like prick behaviour going on by the monsters, even if the uh, some of the stuff they're blamed for isn't necessarily their fault. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do... I, I hear you there. Now, but are you talking about um, the, uh, the theatrical cut there or the director's cut? Well, I'm kind of talking about all of it. Peliquin's right. never... Like, in every version, Peliquin is a bellend. Yeah. But <laughs> I guess he's kind of there as a bridge. Like, you know, he's kind of the first monster we properly meet. Like, the first outwardly monstrous character we meet. And I guess maybe he's there to... Um, Low-key sexually harass the female character when she turns up at Evian. <laughs> misdirect uh, the audience to... I mean, here you go again with your SJW rhetoric, Dan. <laughs> if you try and ruin another film for me with your left-wing politics. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, yeah mean, I mean, obviously yeah. it's a cliche now, man is the real monster. And to be honest, it was on its way to being a cliche back then. But... Uh, I, I as, a, as a young uh, teen, when I first watched this movie, um, I didn't really have that experience. Uh, I'd always been kind of drawn to the monsters. 
but it's kind of hard to sympathise with Freddy Krueger or Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees or whatever. Maybe Jason Voorhees of, of those three the most. But, well, um, no, but, but Krueger is kind of painted as a, as a sympathetic character. Like, it's, especially yeah. when they start to, like, start forgetting about the fact that he was a paedophile. Yeah. And it's all like, oh, he was wronged because mob justice, you know? They burnt him. It's revenge for him, not just gleeful murder. Also gleeful murder. Yeah. I mean, mostly, <laughs> mostly gleeful for murder uh, <laughs> and if you think Pelequin's a dick then you know Freddy Krueger is, is pretty much up there isn't he really? but yeah this was kind of um, a, a gateway to universal monster stuff for me um, where I, c- I can't remember how I connected the two at the time but I think I must have read an interview with Barker where he talked about them um, and I think it's him talking about the fact that when people go to see Dracula they're there to see Dracula not Van Helsing um, yeah, and so I started watching that stuff, and you know, I, I've I've always loved monsters, always, always, and I want to put a monster in every single film I ever make. Um, but at the time, this was kind of the ultimate monster movie um, for me. Uh, I, I understand it's not perfect. I accept it's not perfect, and oh boy, does this disc go out of its way to tell me that the theatrical <laughs> cut that I fell in love with is not a good film. Um, I'd be really interested to talk to you about that element of it because, you know, yeah. while I completely respect um, I, and, and I'm so happy for Clive Barker that the director's cut is on this disc and there's a lovely commentary um, where he's talking to the guys who put it together and he's just so grateful and happy and, and it's overwhelming, actually, how happy he is to finally see his vision in a decent kind of version. And if it was if it stopped there, I'd be fine. But on both commentaries, <laughs> it seems to be you know there's no one on this disc that loves the theatrical cut, and I love the theatrical cut. That's why I would buy this disc. So yeah, that that's kind of tricky for me. Um, I don't like it when people. It's interesting. I think. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. I totally see what you mean. There is a lot of shitting on the old edit. What's interesting is that the the director's cut, quote-unquote, is... What is it like? It's about 20 minutes longer, Yeah, I think. 18 minutes longer. But it actually has about 40 minutes of different footage in it because they chopped a lot out of the um, theatrical cut as yes. well. Um, some of which was stuff that Clive shot. You know, Clive and his massive team of, of second, third unit people and the effects cinematography and everything yeah you know they, they shot a lot of stuff and so i i don't think very much of it was reshoots except maybe the ending mm-hmm. which was you know a, a sort of forced upon him but i'm gonna say i prefer the i prefer the theatrical ending oh thank you yes i'm sorry i'm sorry i mean you know what i'm glad that the other one exists and actually i don't know if um you got a chance to see the cabal cut when it when it did the rounds you know they played it fright first yeah, yeah. and it was not great quality there, no, was, some, exactly. there was some ex- uh, and then there was a it's sort kind of, of assembly edit yeah yeah then there was a there was an assembly edit that was sold through clive's website which was pretty expensive mm. and i don't know if that was the shitty vhs assembly or if they used the better footage to re-edit like you know use the shitty version as a, a sort of edl yeah. as edit decision list uh, and then patched it together. But there, I, you know, there was, when this was announced, this disc, there were sort of rumours that um, it might contain the Cabal cut. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, which is sad. The people that did the Cabal cut continued to work on it and tinker with it and add to it. And before it finally got refused 
uh, inclusion on this disc um, because I believe Clive is not keen on like how much it includes. It got to three hours twenty five minutes, I think. Yeah, um, there was um, there was a kind of campaign. I think it was earlier this year. Um, there was a lot of press about this, and there was a, a Twitter account that has now been deleted, and it uh, it now looks as though it's not going to be released. Right? Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think we'll see it while Clive's still walking around. I I'm lucky enough to have seen it. Wow. Um, the the three hour twenty minute version, and I really fucking like it. I wonder if I would have liked it back then. Right. Um, when I saw the theatrical cut, you know, you and I both have a taste for long form, like long form. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting that I saw it the same week I saw The Irishman, which <laughs> is the same length. Blimey, yeah. <laughs> as, the, uh, as the really long version of Nightbreed. I think Nightbreed works really well as a slow burn. There's, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, I, an, I, it's I no, 90 minutes before they fucking get to Ebion. Wow. <laughs> And then the last 45 minutes is just fucking fight, is just the battle. Right. Um, and then it sort of has both endings as well. Oh, that's which really works interesting. works really well. That's really interesting, it, it, you, yeah. you have the You have the, the director's cut ending first, mm-hmm. and then you have the theatrical cut ending afterwards. Oh, that makes total sense to me. That and makes it works total really sense. nicely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, and, and that's... It's definitely my favourite version. Well, that, that's the thing. Like, uh, it, it always... Even in its truncated form, it felt like uh, the ambition was to make a kind of horror fantasy epic. And so it makes complete sense to me that there is a, a three and a half hour version out there. And, you know, there's there's the Gone with the Wind ending uh, on the director's cut. And, and now we've got um, both on this, on this three and a half yeah. hour cut. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so which, yeah. which is your favourite, would you say? Of the two on the disc? Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, sorry, no. Uh, of of the um, three that you've seen, the, I, I mean, I'm, I'm my favourite is the the super super long all inclusive one. Right. Um, I'm I'm cutting it a little bit of slack because even with all the hard work that those guys have done putting it together, there are a couple of I think there's about a minute and a half that's still VHS quality. Mm. Um, there are a couple of scenes that don't have finished audio. Um, there's one little bit at the beginning that doesn't even have dialogue on it, so they've had to put subtitles in from the script. But but what's important is that that is put together from Clive's original shooting script. So obviously directors remake a film and edit. That's a, a total standard. Mm. That, that a fi- you know The film you see on the cinema screen is very rarely exactly the film that was on the page. Of course, yeah. But but that really long version kind of is exactly what was on the page. Yeah. And it contains everything. So does like it, there's does so it have much the... more with the berserkers. Yeah, I want to talk to you about those berserkers. But um, yeah. American does football it... orangutans. Exactly. Does it have, um, <laughs> does it have the dog man in? Uh, it does. Oh, it has the d- death of dog man and the scene that is alluded to in the one of the special effects extra features on this disc yeah, yeah. where he comes out and picks up the girl. Yeah. Oh, wow. and, then, and then later the girl is there with him lying dead on the floor. Because you know, um, you, you know, Dogman is kind of a legendary. Um... Yeah, so he was—he's uh, Mark Coulier, I think, is the guy that sculpted Dogman. There's so many names in the in the British effects industry that can be sort of traced back to um, to Nightbreed. Mark Coulier, for those who aren't so nerdy about their effects people, got the Academy Awards for uh, Iron Lady and yes. the Wes Anderson Hotel picture. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel yeah. he got Academy Awards for both of them and did the makeup effects for the recent Suspiria remake as well but yeah he was he was very very young when he when Bob gave him a, a, a shot on um, on Nightbreed and his 
Dogman got pretty much cut out. The Dogman, who looks very much like the CGI Doberman Man, who's used in the credits of the opening scene of Jan Kunen's amazing gangster picture, Doberman. Yes. Uh, they're basically the same design. Yeah, the, the and, and, and uh, digital. The, the reason I'm digging into this is because, yeah, the Dogfaced Man is this kind of legendary figure uh, amongst the fans. And even the, the brief glimpse they get in Making Monsters... Um, that interview with Bob Keane and his team will be exciting to them. Um, yeah, I mean and, that's, and that's probably between a third and half of how much he's on the in the right. in the long version right. of the film. Like, there's not a lot. He doesn't have a song, right? <laughs> oh, what? No song. Um, and, and yeah, we might as well go on to some of the special features, like that documentary, Making Monsters. Uh, what did you think of of that? Uh, um, it's really so, I, I would love to see that from uh, someone in the special effects industry's uh, point of view because as an outsider uh, they say a lot of really interesting things that sound pretty like bad ideas <laughs> um, uh, I would also love to see it from the point of view of a special effects artist because my, I had a check disc and it crapped out oh, about halfway through every oh single no, special feature oh so no. no single video file worked all the way through oh, that I think sucks. It, ex- except except the makeup tests which I saw all the way through okay. and a few wouldn't even start playing like I wanted to watch the AD the, the second unit director interview um, but that wouldn't start. Um, I saw I saw most of one of Bob's uh, long interviews, uh, mm. and I ass- assume you're talking about the one where they're like, and then we glued polystyrene balls to them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of basically. I mean, there, there's, I, I've never liked the Berserkers, right? I've always felt that they looked a bit shit. Um, and, you know, as a kind of hyped-up final wave, you'd expect them to be, you know, a, a little bit cooler. Uh, yeah, but as it turns out, it was just one guy doing all of it. One guy who'd never done full body prosthetics before, um, yeah. who felt completely out of his depth and said to Bob, "I feel uh, out of my depth." And Bob just said, "Oh, no, you know, you'll work it out. It'll be fine." And yeah, that seems to be how the entire uh, effects unit was run, and and I think it's the fact that it gave has given birth to so many amazing people. Uh, in the industry is more a testament to how Bob hired everyone who contacted him. <laughs> well, you, you say that, but right from I'm going to uh, approach this from a, a positive perspective. Maybe there is something in in running things where you're throwing people totally in the deep end, and they've got no choice but to learn. And and sure, that does lead to things that that maybe could have been better. Um, but considering the circumstances, I do actually now think they look pretty good um, for how they were actually put together. Well, and so it's a, it, yeah, yeah, it, it's a grab bag, people, and there is some yeah. there is some exceptional stuff in there. Yeah, and then there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work, and I think that that might be the one big downside of the the long, long, long cabal cut mm. is that it everything's in there whether it works or not there's a shot that isn't in either of the other versions where they're running towards the gates and you can see the ground springing because it's all built up because they shot it all on a soundstage man I I don't know how I feel about this uh, this three three and a half hour cut you know it's tricky like if Clive that's it if Clive Barker doesn't want it out there because it's so warts and all and it includes mistakes 
Um, then I'm not sure if I'd, I'd want to see it myself because I, um, I have a theory about why Clive doesn't want to out there that I'm not going to say on record. <laughs> right, we'll talk about that afterwards. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, like I, I guess one of the thing, uh, one of the several things that slightly annoyed me about the special features on this release, and, and we'll get into the main commentary on the theatrical cut. Uh, but yeah, I just I wish it could have been both a celebration of the director's cut and a celebration of the theatrical cut. And and there's the suggestion a couple of times on on this disc that the the message the monsters are the good guys um, is kind of completely lost in the theatrical cut. Um, Which it really isn't. And it's it as isn't. present in the theatrical cut as it is. Yeah. It's, it's just it's that you get more David it. Cronenberg. Yeah, exactly. It's why I loved it. And you know, I, I used to watch this film over and over again. And for me, you know. It's a film about finding your people, finding your family amongst outcasts. It's it's the family you choose. Um, and there's an obvious queer subtext to the film. Uh, and it also works for anyone who's felt estranged or ostracised. Um, well, and that, that f- Go on. So, sorry. I, that's, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that that like, subtext... Uh, you know, obviously, Clive has always been part of the lgbtq scene with his writing and his work but that stuff also transfers into the horror world very easily because and this is something that i sort of touched on when we were talking about the second vhs forever disc uh, uh, film a little while ago there's so many people that maybe were a little shy or recluse who have found a family in the horror film festivals and talking about horror movies and like it's a shared interest and, and again that's kind of like a shared that's a, a family you've chosen totally you, so I, you, you actually cut me off be- before I was about to make exactly that point I was going <laughs> to oh, no it's fine don't <laughs> apologise because it, it reinforces it um, because to dial down even more specifically I was going to talk about the Arrow Video Fright Fest and how that is essentially like Midian and you know it's a place where yeah. people whether artists or outcasts and both artists and outcasts are represented in Midian obviously and the, like you say they find that community and celebrate the elements that make them unique so absolutely whether it's you know loads of different festivals or conventions or whatever it is it's people who are treated as weirdos by those people who will go on to be police officers or you know scientists or whatever uh the more traditional groups of people who look down on horror yeah exactly who who think that you know fans of monsters are monsters themselves and i've always been a horror nerd uh despite the fact that it's always scared me i've always been drawn to that fear so uh the idea that there was a horror movie that kind of celebrated uh what i was or what i am and allowed me to feel part of its world and I obsessively you know I got the 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 Nightbreed Chronicles and the script and I played the Amiga 500 game like I was fully (laughs) obsessed with this film and the idea that somewhere out there there was a Midian for me and as it turns out it's uh, the the horror film industry which is where I feel at home and where I've found the family that I've made and so to go through this disc and hear people going ah the theatrical cut's a load of old shit isn't it it's like fuck you (laughs) not not, not you Clive Barker not fuck you I I do totally understand um, creating a work of art 
and it not being what you envisioned in any way, shape or form and feeling so gratified that that, that vision is finally out there. However, that kind of tunnel vision of the artist where you can't see outside of what your vision is and understand that even the sort of botched version of what you created is so beautiful that it connects with a, a whole army of people already. You know, that, that's yeah. what I find difficult. Do, do, does that make sense? Oh, totally. I think the closest that this film comes to honouring the version that you and I fell in love with in the you know when we were young yeah. is when Bob talks about how, like, for years he would have like people who wanted to get into effects come up to him and say, "Oh my God, I love Nightbreed. I love all the monsters you did in, in Nightbreed." Mm. And and it obviously like it obviously had that effect. It for a long time it was kind of underappreciated and underseen. It wasn't particularly well released. It wasn't necessarily very well you know advertised. Mm. And so while you know far from the most obscure title will you know that we love or yeah. You know, or even you know, the most obscure title we'll cover on the on the podcast. Yeah, it it did it did kind of get underseen. I'm I'm surprised by how many people still kind of haven't seen it. Oh, definitely. But but the people who did see it, it really connected to them. I think. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Completely. And uh, shall we talk a little bit more about the extras, or we sh- or shall we move on? Um, I uh, I've got a few thank you Blu-ray moments from the film. Oh, fabulous! Go on. And only one of them is dicks, uh, which is surprising <laughs> in a Clive Parker film. I don't think I'd realised you could see the berserkers' penises before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they talk a little bit about that, yeah. I, I think they were visible before, but I hadn't necessarily noticed the uh, the masks on Cronenberg's wall uh, the very first time you go into his office. Yeah. Um, which I really like. Yeah, that's and, a great uh, And, and obviously, the I, you know later on a, a, a mask itself plays into it the idea that the monsters are these people without masks the line no masks is said in the hospital before that guy pulls his skin off yeah but the the, the visual image of the masks on the wall reminded me of an illustration in um possibly my favorite barker book uh, the thief of always which is his sort of children's book mm. and there's a there's a, a scene in that novel which i believe is being talked about being adapted again maybe very exciting but he uh yeah there's a there's a room full of masks in there which has a a sneaky little pinhead like hidden in the illustration which i was delighted about when i was you know young and reading it yeah um and the my my downstairs bathroom is kind of based on that photograph from (laughs) that that drawing from uh thief of always so it's nice to see all these little connections going through i can see that for sure and yeah, I, I really enjoyed seeing very clearly the, the title sequence and all of those lovely wall paintings um, yeah. by Ralph Macquarie. And yeah, he painted them as a favour to Clive Barker and uh, he helped design the new monsters as well, including the, the porcupine woman. Uh, I would say her name, but uh, I think it's probably best for casual listeners that I say the porcupine woman. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the intention was to create a Star Wars for monsters, and it does feel very much like the cantina scene in A New Hope, uh, but a film, which may be also why I liked it so much. Has, it, uh, has its record been beaten? Have we had a, a film, a single film, with more than 300 individual creatures in it since then? I, I, I actually don't think it has. Um, certainly not practically, um, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I can't imagine it has because even the films that you'd think would try to do that, so like the Conjuring universe, 
Um, they normally yeah. kind of have a handful rather than like 300. But imagine if they had 300, like their, their shared yeah. universe would be set for decades. Um, but yeah, I, uh, even if some of them are just like, uh, I don't know, she's got red tits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fingers on her chin. Uh, I think that might be the same woman. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, no, it is. And um, <laughs> yeah, the fact that did you get far enough into making monsters to see Clive Barker's original illustration? Oh yeah, I mean, I've I've seen his. I've, I've you know, I'm I'm familiar with the the beautiful sort of Rorschach looking yeah. ink pieces that he does. I mean, they're gorgeous. They're absolutely and, gorgeous, and there obviously. are a lot of there's a lot of hand business going on in those illustrations, like hands on foreheads, like hands kind of digging into skin and stuff. So I do wonder yeah. if that fingers on the chin was their kind of best representation of that. Um, yeah, but, there but I is, do wish I do wish they'd stuck a little more closely to those original illustrations because some of them only have elements that they've taken from and put them into the designs, whereas kind of Barker's overall uh, artwork is just so stunning. I wish I wish it could have been replicated. Absolutely, but they, they you know they couldn't all be full prosthetics no. or massive suits. You know, just for yeah. the sheer numbers, some of them had to be you yeah. know, yeah, red, red tits. Um, I'm going to skip over the main commentary on the theatrical cut because, um, you know, these guys were just doing their best. Uh, You know, one of them, one of them does say he likes the, he likes the ending. When when the ending comes, he says, you know what? I actually really like this ending. So there's a little bit of love there. There there is, but it's just the whole, right. You've, you've set me off now. It's the fact (coughs) that. I just wish, you know, these guys did their best, but I wish that we'd have had people involved in the production who who might have been kind of, A, a bit warmer, and B, a bit more knowledgeable. There's a couple of things that they say in the commentary that, I'm sorry to say if they're listening to this, are just wrong, and I always find that really frustrating. Um, Can I have some examples? Well, it's... So, uh, stuff like... It's even like mispronouncing words and names, like <laughs> mate paintings, and like no, oh, I'm yeah, not going to go really, into this. That jarred with me as I'm, well. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to go into this, but um, yeah, like oh, I'll give one detail. Just the stuff about Danny Elfman's score when they were talking oh. about that. That that just annoyed me a little bit. But like I say, these guys are just trying to live their life. They're doing their best. They love the film. They saw it when it was first out. They have been hired to do this. So, um, you know, uh, I'm not going to... That score is amazing. I'm not going to be too hard on them. But yeah, oh my, I think it's Danny Elfman's best score. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, I say that without really stopping and thinking about what else he's done, but I mean, I love, it is such a good score. I love Batman and all the rest of it. Don't you? I mean, he has become... Uh, a little bit repetitive over the years let's say that yeah. <laughs> but um but this but I think is that, just that this is... feels like a, a man reborn this score it really does it, it's incredible it's so good i mean i think there's probably a little bit of that that's not necessarily his fault at least initially because when someone becomes very famous for something or very successful for something they uh you know often people go oh like that do that thing that you did do that again you know, it's why a, a band you love can have four or five amazing albums, each with a unique sound, and yeah. then like they have a huge hit, and then everything after that kind of sounds like the big hit album, mm. and it's much less exciting. I suspect that that happens with people doing soundtracks as well. But look, um, and obviously, then they get old, and it's easy to just do the same thing again. <laughs> but look, co- commentary guys, if you're listening to this, 
you're still you're still in our, our gang. You're still in in our version of Midian. It's just maybe you you have to stand at the back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you you yeah. You're not an A-hero monster. <laughs> oh, let's stop this. Well, oh, I hate this, it, I hate well, it so, when we're mean to other people. I prefer it when we're mean to each other. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's do that. No. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk, about, let's talk about the extras from the point of view of why people who shelled out for the Shout Factory of Disc should pick up the Arrow one. Because, obviously, that commentary is on both. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and in fact, quite a, few of the comment, quite a few of the extras are on both. Yeah, I, I um, have the Shout Disc, actually. So, um, so yeah. I mean, uh, it's not... The new stuff isn't extensive, but it is of a high quality, I'd say. Um, yeah, similar similar visual encode, but a better audio encode for the film on yeah. the Arrow disc, yeah. from what I can tell. It is a very nice disc. It looks great. Like the, I've never seen the film look so good. And there's some nice, um, there's some nice insight in the new extras. Like there's um, a, a new video with uh, interview with the critic Kat Ellinger. And there's also a, a half an hour interview with Nicholas Vince, which is new. And he's always got plenty to say about Nightbreed. And he's involved in, in the kind of the universe because uh, he's written the, the comics and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there's a lovely video interview with Kim Newman, uh, yeah. which is always worth a purchase. Yeah, I, 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 I can hear where you're coming from. In that would it would have been nice to have more new stuff, but um, I do think this will probably be. Right. I think it, there's not a great deal of people in the UK that uh, import. No, and the things. shout stuff's quite expensive as it, well. It is expensive. It's expensive to bring in. Exactly. I was looking at a new title earlier today and decided not to do it, even though it was a film I really wanted. So you know, come on, Arrow, please relieve the prophecy. Yeah. Not the Christopher Walken one, although I like that as well. The mutant bear one. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I obviously imported the Shout version of Nightbreed because I'm uh, obsessed with it. I have the vinyl, I have uh, of, of the, the Danny Elfman score. I've got, what else? You know, comics. Fang, comics, Fang, yeah. Fangoria, <laughs> um, the, the, the cover issue, like all sorts. But And I'm, and I'm happy with the release. Um, if only I hadn't decided to watch and listen to everything on here. Um, maybe if you're a diehard theatrical cut fan, just watch just watch the film and watch the uh, the director's Bob cut. Key, the, listen the to the commentary uh, on the director's cut, maybe not on the theatrical cut, and then um, yeah, watch interviews with people like him, uh, and and yeah, you'll be fine. It's definitely worth buying, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Dig up. <laughs> Right, I feel like I've already said too much. Uh, shall we move on to recommendations based on Nightbreed? Uh, yes, um, I am going to let you go first because uh-huh. one of my recommendations, I think there's a good chance it's also going to be one of yours, and I don't have a backup right, because well, for some reason I found it quite hard to think of recommendations based on Nightbreed that I've, I was satisfied with, but I do have a backup recently film, hmm. so if I, can only, if I end up only being able to do one based on, then I'll do three recently. Right, here's what <laughs> I'm going to do. I'm going to avoid the one that I know will be a crossover because I do have a backup, and you Saying, you saying that you're worried about it makes me realise that you've definitely picked this one and I will confirm or deny when you start talking about it. Uh, yeah. And I will start with To Die For uh, from 1995. 
mainly because it's uh, a fucking fantastic movie that may well have flown under the radar. I don't really see a lot of... I don't think there's much of a following for To Die For. Uh, even I don't though, think I've seen it. Oh, the, are you sure? The, it's the, the Gus Van Sant movie um, from 95, starring Nicole Kidman. Um, she's a, a, a ambitious television personality, and she makes a documentary about a bunch of kind of sullen teenagers. Uh, but she has um, she has other plans on what she's going to do with the documentary. Uh, have, oh no, have no, I haven't, not I haven't seen, seen it. it. Well, no. I'm I'm so happy I've done this record. I thought this was going to be one where you look down your nose at me, but no, uh, it's got an amazing cast, including Joaquin Phoenix and. A very early role for Joaquin Phoenix. Got Casey Affleck in it as well. Um, but significantly, it has David Cronenberg in one of his rare acting ah. outings, which is the main reason I'm recommending it. Um, he plays a, a small but integral part <laughs> in the film. <laughs> so that's all I'll say. Um, to Die For from 1995. Slightly odd recommendation, but if you haven't seen it, please do. It is fantastic. Dan. Oh, and Arrow, maybe that's one that you could put out because um, I don't know if there's a decent Blu-ray release of it out there. But anyway, sorry, Dan, what's next? What's your first well, recommendation? Well, my, my one, and it's the one that I assumed you would have in your two. Yes. Uh, and I think it's because you might have watched it for the first time with me because I had the old laser disc of it. Um, but it's Lord of Illusions. Oh, interesting. No, and uh, that, Which is, that wasn't the first time I watched it, but it, I was very excited to watch it on Laserdisc. Um, so, oh, yes. there we go. I ah. think maybe there was... Uh, was it that you'd seen it when you were quite young and that there was a moment in it that shut you right up? Yes. And you hadn't watched it since? Was that it? No. <laughs> no that's that's okay. an American werewolf in London. Um, no, I watched it when I was quite young and didn't really like it, but I think maybe I liked it more when I watched it with you on Laserdisc and that's what you're thinking of. I'm not sure. But anyway, maybe, maybe it's, a good, it. anyway it's a good recommendation. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a good fun film. It's one of the lesser seen Barker, um, like sort of Barker proper films. Yeah. It's got some really nice inventive special effects in it. Yeah, there's some, yeah, some really, really fun gags in it. Um, and it's got Scott Bakula in it. So what's not to, what's not to love? Scott Bakula, his name rhymes with Dracula, yes. Uh, he, he's, <laughs> I think, yeah, I maybe went on to that off the back of Quantum Leap, um, which uh, I'm not sure if I recommend going back to watch because it has dated. Right. Uh, yeah, there's one, next... one, gif, one gif I come across occasionally that <laughs> has not but, weathered um, well. But yeah, what is my next recommendation? Well, it, I, I, it's, I think I'll do the one that I cut. Do it. Shall I? Well, the, oh, right, I'm going to mention the one I thought you were going to mention. Just do both, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, Hellraiser Inferno. Um, the, ah, the, the okay. The fifth Hellraiser, which wasn't uh, originally a Hellraiser script. It no. was changed, and um, you can very much see that it, it wasn't originally meant to be a Hellraiser movie. And in fact, a reason it's got kind of a low IMDb score and kind of the fan reaction to it is pretty negative is because it's not really a Hellraiser movie. However, no, but... if you just watch it as a movie and it has the same leading actor as Nightbreed, um, Craig Schaefer, so that's the main reason I'm recommending it off the back of Nightbreed. Uh, but yeah, if you just watch it as a normal movie without any of the kind of Hellraiser attachments, 
then it's actually really good and really dark. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Really I like weird. it. Yeah, it's it's probably the best of the Hellraiser uh, post the, the original trilogy. It's the, yeah. the, the best of the, the slightly is, shittier sequels. Is it, is, it, is it better than number three, maybe? <laughs> now, now, Dan, let's not have it's this not conversation better, again. It's not a better Hellraiser film than number three, but I think it might be a better film than number three. Right, what's your ne- rec- next recommendation? <laughs> I thought you thought I was going to do Jason X after you recommended ah. the Gus Van Sant picture yes. for similar reasons. But no, my uh, my one, and you said, oh, you were worried I was going to look down your nose at, at, uh, at the Gus Van Sant film. Yes. Um, this one is a, a super mainstream picture. <laughs> so, Yay! Um, but it's, um, it's Hellboy 2. Oh, um, okay, interesting. And yeah. it's just because the sh- it's the sort of the modern, it's the closest I can think of in modern terms yeah. to a film with that many unique creatures in it. Yeah. And that, I, I wasn't a massive fan of the first Hellboy, and I have problems with the second one, but the 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 effects are astonishing. Yeah. The designs are astonishing. And that goblin market yeah. that they go to is just littered with uh with unique creatures and they did a very similar thing to what they did with nightbreed in that there was so meant because they shot that in england that Mm. scene and they they basically went out to all of the different established effects houses at the time and got them to do one or two monsters Mm. so that's the the look is so varied because you've got all these different people coming at it from different angles Mm. and a lot of the monsters in that were made by people who had started off working for bob on nightbreed so is a there's a really lovely connection there that's great and uh, that's really good uh i'm not a massive fan of the movie but i yeah i completely see it from that perspective Uh, oh it's, it's definitely a movie i watch for the effects yeah for sure. And uh, my next recommendation, or my final recommendation, because I'm now doing three, it turns out, uh, is <laughs> Little Monsters from 1989. Now, not the Little Monsters that came out this year, but the one from 1989, which is uh, ostensibly a children's movie. It's this weird uh, Fred Savage movie about monsters who yeah. live under the bed. Um, and it's a portal to an environment that's very, very similar to Midian even in terms of kind of the structural design. I don't know what it was uh, in the late 80s that, that made people think that monsters equals gangplanks in the sky or whatever. But yeah, little monsters. It's post-labyrinth, I think. Uh, I guess, yeah, that could be it, actually. But uh, it's another movie that I watched over and over again when I was younger um, because all I wanted was a, a monstrous best friend and this film is about having a monstrous best friend. It's kind of like, think Drop Dead Fred meets Monsters, Inc. And that's essentially this film. And in <laughs> fact, there are some elements to this that make me think that um, the Pixar dudes definitely saw this film before they made Monsters, Inc. But anyway, that's just one of my many conspiracy theories. Uh, yeah. There's some sort of, there's some colour, there's some colour connections between the, the, the lead monster. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like, and the conception. I, I'm sure that somewhere on the internet, someone has either done a YouTube video or um, an essay comparing these two films because there's, there's maybe Deep Cut's video could but, do one. Well, well, Deep Cut video has has retired for the time being. Um, no, but we'll come back with a vengeance uh, in a new form uh, in 2020. But uh, anyway, let's go on to what we've watched over the past couple of weeks. Dan, what have you been watching? 
so last week, the week before, since we did the last record, I had uh, some people around, including our lovely editor Mike, to watch the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray of Night Beast directed by Dan Dola in 1982. I had not seen this before, but I was familiar with the cover, the VHS cover of it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a weird little film in that it it was sort of basically made in Dola's backyard uh, with some people he, like, press-ganged into being in his cheap, cheap film. Um, for a movie that clearly cost tuppence, it's got impressive effects. That is generous. Um, it is not a good film by any stretch but it is a very enjoyable film and there's uh he's he's basically just put absolutely every idea he's had with zero filter into it so it's very weird it's very inconsistent and it's all over the fucking shop but it's really really fun and it was a very nice movie to watch with a, a room full of people lovely i haven't seen it so uh that's i think you'd love it i think you'd absolutely love it yeah ah oh, god damn i miss london but uh i am having fun here like I mentioned at the top of the, the show that I've been doing extra features and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've done a couple of commentaries and some interviews for discs and stuff. And as anyone who listens to this podcast will be fully aware, I very much love uh, special features. So to be involved in the, the making of them is, is really fun. Speaking of special features, my first recommendation from the past couple of weeks is Criterion's Godzilla set. Which oh, is, you lucky bugger. I know, it's an absolute joy. Um, I was lucky enough to review it for SFX magazine, so uh, it'll be in the next issue if you want to read like my full review. It's like a double-page review because obviously there's 15 films to talk about, uh, including uh, King Kong versus Godzilla on Blu-ray in the UK for the first time. Uh, the transfers aren't all perfect if you are uh, an obsessive about that stuff they're not exactly consistent and I think that's probably down to the rights issues stuff um, that has stopped these films from ever being released together before Um, but just the fact that they are together is kind of a a gargantuan effort and so many of these films are on Blu-ray in the UK for the first time so it is really exciting And, yeah, I just spent a a full week (laughs) watching them. uh, And I was in heaven. Um, And, yeah, really solid extras, too. I mentioned the special features. And there's a really nice special effects documentary. Just It's about Toho in general. Um, Amazing. But but once it gets to the Godzilla stuff, it's just so fucking cool. So much behind-the-scenes footage and, and, you know, interview material. It's just very, very... I recommend it is expensive obviously so many films but if you are able to put it on your Christmas list uh, maybe Santa can bring it to you and he has yeah. he has he has deep pockets so um, yeah I, um, Godzilla I did I recommend it go on Dan I did, did um, but I did I did buckle and buy it in the Barnes and Noble sale when it was half off but it hasn't arrived yet so oh yeah that that's a that's a great purchase um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, always 50% best off to... a, a title that big is, you can't turn that down. You are, you generally focus on those, don't you? That's how you got your Zatoichi box set and that's how you got your Bergman box set, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. The the, well, yeah, because there. otherwise they cost double. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> no matter what people say, uh, Barnes & Noble will deliver to the UK. So There you go. And uh, what is your next recommendation from the past couple of weeks? 
Um, my next recommendation is a super fucking weird 1981 Korean giallo sort yes. of. There's, you can count on the fingers of like two, maybe three hands, how many Korean legit horror films there are pre like 95. They, they didn't do a lot of horror. Uh, they do thrillers very well, violent thrillers well. And they did a, a spate of Japanese sort of like J-horror ripoffs with things like Phone and the Ring movie that they made. But, but as far as like unique stuff, there was very, very little going on. And especially pre the 90s when they started sort of aping the Japanese stuff. So Suddenly in the Dark by Young Nam Ko is like imagine somewhere between like a Barva picture and Hauzu. <laughs> oh my god. It's um so it's on Blu-ray in the States. Uh, Mondo Macabro put it out. I'm the the film I think I mentioned this last time, the film I'm gearing up to do over in Korea, the uh, Andy Stark, the producer that I, I talk about a fair bit, um, who co-owns Mondo Macabro, uh, he produced a short film with the directors who are doing the film in Korea. He's not attached to the film in Korea, but, you know, so he's a mutual friend. We were talking about Korean cinema in general. Uh, Matt Halsall, the director, was like, have you, fucking hell, have you seen Suddenly in the Dark? Um, Mondo put it out, so I I picked up a copy. It's an absolute delight. It's very, very fucking weird. It's not as over the top as Hauser, but Mm. it's really beautifully garish. There's a lot of unnecessary, like, sort of kaleidoscope lens attachments and that kind of stuff. Um, There's a a lot of very, very odd character decisions. (laughs) Like, what the characters are up to is pretty bonkers. And it's, yeah, it's it's basically a sort... It's a giallo in all but being a giallo. It's not about a murder. It's a, it's essentially about a sort of a haunted doll, maybe. <laughs> but this doesn't sound I, like a giallo I, to me, but... No, it's... A, but you know you know how, like, you've got the pure giallos and then you've got all the outliers that people argue about whether or not they're giallos. Like Suspiria. It's definitely... Yeah, I mean, fuck off, obviously that's not a giallo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> but, but as an outlier, it right. sort of, it falls more into that. I, I think the thing is, I, I was sold it. I was... I was like one of the things that sold me on it was that I read about it and a lot of people call it a giallo. Right. It's not, not really. It looks like kind of Barva maybe shot it, but like when he'd taken too many cold meds, (laughs) it's very fucking weird. Yeah. Really worth checking out suddenly in the dark. And how uh, are people able to get this? It's on Mondo Macabre. It's on the Blu-ray. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 But, if uh, if you're in the UK, uh, you can get it from DiabolicDVD.com, uh, who are an American website who shipped to the UK, and they carry all of the Mondo Macabro stuff and and you know loads of the other American boutique Blu-ray stuff as well. My uh, next recommendation is uh, a film that will be available in the UK at the time of this podcast going up. I think uh, Secret Ceremony, which is out on. Indicator, I think, today. Oh, nice. Um, starring Elizabeth Taylor, Mia Farrow, and Robert Mitchum. Have you seen Secret Ceremony, Dan? I don't think I have. It's uh, good, good, uh, good cast. Yeah, you. I think you'll love it. Um, it's, it's a film that I, I've loved for a while, but I've 
only had a slightly dodgy DVD of it, um, dodgy in the quality sense, not in the legal sense. Uh, and yeah, it's super creepy in a very specific way uh, that I'm not going to go into. It's directed by Joseph Losey, who also directed The Servant, which I know Dan has seen, um, which is another absolute masterpiece. Uh, now, the title makes it sound like an occult horror, but it's not a horror film. Um, it's actually much more unnerving than that. Uh, I'm not going to describe the plot, but just trust me and watch it. It's a very unique experience, and it would make uh, a pretty good double bill with the Arrow video release, Toys Are Not For Children, um, which is one that I don't think we'll ever do an episode on. Uh, however, is another kind of low-key, weird masterpiece. Toys Are Not For Children is more intense uh, than Secret Ceremony in many ways. Um, like, you are not going to get a darker ending than in Toys Are Not For Children <laughs> in any genre. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, yeah, I'm into that then. <laughs> oh, my God. Dan, if you haven't seen it, holy fuck. Yeah, it's fucking intense. But seriously, uh, dear sweet precious Arrowhead, if Toys Are Not For Children has flown under your radar and you want a very weird and intense experience, then please do buy that one. That is a high Sam Ashurst recommend. Um, yeah, okay, I've accidentally done three there. You- that, that's fine. I've got my third one because uh, of my backup thing. Uh, I almost didn't do it because it's very hard to see <laughs> at the moment. The Korean, uh, the director of this Korean picture that I mentioned, uh, sent me this uh, as reference for the thing we're doing. Um, it's a big budget Korean picture that is way more fun than it really has any right to be. It's called Exit. Uh, it's by Sang Gyun Lee. I think it's his first film. Uh, it's from this year. It'll definitely be getting a, uh, a Blu-ray release over in Korea in the early new year. I don't know if it's going to get picked up over here, but if not, Yes Asia or eBay or wherever will we'll be able to have it. Um, track it down. It's basically an inverse uh, towering inferno with a uh, a guy with a slightly like convoluted backstory. And a young woman uh, having to keep climbing up a building after a terrorist strike uh, lays a carpet of poisonous fog all across the city. And while they're trying to get rescued by helicopters, they have to keep on uh, like free climbing. They're both free climbers. They met at a free climbing class. Uh, they have to free climb up these buildings to, to keep getting higher and higher to stay away from the poisonous gas. It is astonishingly effective. It's very, very tense. And if you don't mind a gossamer thin plot uh, that turns mostly on coincidence and chance, uh, then it's really, really fun. Uh, so yeah, that's it's really good fun. Grand. Uh, that sounds good. And shall we go into extra features? Let's do that. Let's do extra features. Extra features. We don't have any extra features. Extra features. features. We've got no, nothing. None extra features. But, nothing. Uh, Sorry. We'll use this section maybe from now on to announce what we're doing next time, which will yeah. be Robocop as long as yes. we're able to get our hands on it. So uh, uh, please buy Robocop. Love Robocop. Buy Robocop now. <laughs> um, you've probably already bought it, but uh, that is the one we're going to be talking about. And we will be going in depth into the plot, obviously, because. Um, yeah, it's just uh, one of the greatest... Goddamn classic. One of the greatest films ever made. So, Oh my God, it's so fucking good. So yeah, uh, and that's it. Uh, social media, I'm at Sam Ashurst on Twitter, at Sam Ashurst 23 on Instagram. Dan, what are you? I am at 13fingerfx on both of those things. More of the same, dogs, film stuff, bit of politics, special effects when I'm allowed to. 
And there we go. Follow me. Thank you so much for listening, and we promise to be more professional next time. Fingers crossed. Hearts, hearts crossed. Hearts crossed. We cross our hearts. We'll be more professional. Bye-bye. Bye.